and stand with me as we read God's Word this morning. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. In your pew Bibles, that's page 553. And we'll read Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we come having read your word, and we know that you have already begun speaking to us, for your word is your voice, it's your will, it's you speaking to us. And now, Lord, we want to hear the word proclaimed, and we pray that our hearts would be ready that our hearts would be yielded, that, Lord, we would learn how this world is upside down, how you can turn it right side up, how you can let us, by your grace and through Jesus Christ, live a blessed and, and fulfilling and eternal, meaningful life. And so, Father, we pray now that your spirit would use our pastor, use your word, and even use us as a congregation in the worship and the song we're about to hear to draw us ever closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we continue in our series that we've been in for a few weeks now, a series in the Beatitudes, a series that we're simply calling Upside Down, uh, I want to begin here this morning with a message that I, I pray, I hope, that will speak to each and every mom who's here this morning, as well as to everyone else that is here, too. This morning, we come to the fifth beatitude, in which Jesus very clearly says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, the first four beatitudes, if you've been with us for the... Those four, they're, uh, they're all inner principles that kind of deal with how you see yourself before God. Uh, but this beatitude uh, begins kind of a shift in what Jesus is saying here. While also being an inner attitude, it begins to reach out, if you will. It begins to touch others in our horizontal relationships. So you might think of the first four beatitudes... Uh, that kind of deal with our, our vertical relationship with God the Father, while these last four uh, deal with our, our horizontal relationships with one another. This fifth beatitude is, is, is the fruit of the previous four beatitudes. 
when we are broken as beggars in our spirit, when we are mournful over our sin, when we are meek and hungering for righteousness, being merciful to others will be the the result or the byproduct. Now, this is the shortest of the eight Beatitudes. You may have noticed that. Perhaps you uh, didn't. That's okay. It's only nine words long. And so it's the shortest Beatitude, and yet it may be the hardest beatitude to live out for this one simple reason. We have a, a built-in disconnect with mercy. And here's what I mean by that. In fact, if you want to take notes, I invite you to pull out your uh, sermon note, the insert there, and, or you can follow along on the screen. But here's our disconnect with mercy. We love mercy shown to us, but we do not love showing mercy to others. Most of us probably resonate with at some level. After all, who doesn't love mercy for their shortcomings? I know I do. I love it when people show me mercy for my shortcomings, for my faults, my flaws, my mistakes, my sins. When I offend people, I want mercy shown to me. We love mercy for our shortcomings, but for the shortcomings of others, we are by nature condescending and even indifferent. And so we value mercy when we wrong people, but we prefer retribution and vengeance when people wrong us. For the most part, the days in which Jesus lived were not characterized by mercy. The Roman world looked down on mercy. Instead, the Romans glorified justice and courage and self-control and power. The Roman philosophers even called mercy a disease of the soul. They they thought it was a sign of weakness and something to be detested if you wanted to be a success in life. And like the Roman world in Jesus' day, mercy seems to be a rather rare commodity even in our world today. But being merciful is what Jesus calls us to in this beatitude. Mercy is what no one expects but what everyone needs. And so instead of being a sickness of the soul, mercy is is the heart of God, and it's the health of a Christ follower who's living out the values of the Beatitudes here. And so let's explore for the next few minutes here the surplus of mercy in this fifth Beatitude. And the first thing I want us to notice together is what Jesus is telling us here. And while this is not a command, the implication is there that we are to be merciful in a merciless world. Now, first, right off the bat here, we need to understand something about being merciful in a merciless world. We will never be merciful in a merciless world without first experiencing the mercy of God. So what is mercy? Well, here's a general definition of mercy. One author writes, mercy is love for those in misery. It's a forgiving spirit toward the sinner. It embraces both the kindly feeling and the kindly act. Another author defines mercy this way. It's to to get inside someone's skin until we can see things with his eyes, think things with his mind, and feel things with his feelings. To move in and act on behalf of those who are hurting. And then I love this author's summary of what God's mercy is, putting all this together. Mercy is God's ministry to the miserable. That's a pretty good definition. 
and you put all this together, mercy really refers to God seeing us then in the misery of our sin and being moved by that misery to do something about it on behalf of us. You ask, well, what did God do about our misery due to our sinfulness? Well, notice this. Mercy is God's love rescuing sinners from their misery. That's what God did. Indeed, sin has made us miserable. And God exercises mercy when he rescues us from our present and future misery. Now, you might be wondering, you know, sometimes we use the words mercy and then grace, and sometimes we use them interchangeably, and so is there a difference between mercy and grace? And and there is a difference. Grace, uh, without going into detail explanation of it, grace is God's solution to people's sin. Whereas mercy is God's solution to our misery because of our sin. And so in grace, God deals with our sin, and in his mercy, he relieves us of our misery. In the words of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, grace is especially associated with men in their sins, whereas mercy is especially associated with men in their misery. And as Bill Bright writes, God is the grand master of mercy. His very nature desires to relieve us of the self-imposed misery and distress we experience because of our sin. In fact, from the... From before the creation of the world, our God, our Heavenly Father, God the Creator, was on this quest to pour out misery to us, all of humanity, to us as sinners. In fact, in one of the most moving passages in all of the Old Testament, we're told of an occasion where the Israelites gathered together before God, and and then their spiritual leaders stood up before them and and basically acknowledged God's mercy shown on them going all the way back to creation. And so just this is in your notes here. Just listen to the emphasis of God's mercy here in Nehemiah 9, beginning in verse 17, where they speak, the spiritual leaders, and they say, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Verse 19, you, God, in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. You drop down to verse 27 and it says, in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. Verse 28, yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And then they they summarize it in verse 31, nevertheless, in your great mercies, God, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Whatever your particular experience is in life right now, you can be sure of this. Human beings suffer all kinds of miseries as a result of sin. But God has mercy on us. Is that not good news here this morning? God has mercy on us in our sinfulness. God sees us in our mercy, and He is moved in our misery, and He is moved not only to feel compassion for us, but also to actively relieve our misery. Now, true, at the same time, we made the bed we lie in. Listen, and God knows that. Our misery, yes, is a consequence of our sin. But God hates to see us like that. 
And so he intervenes with the greatest mercy the world has ever known, which is his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, you go to the New Testament and the Apostle Paul talks about God's mercy rescuing us from the misery of our sin. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, Paul says, And at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Folks, that's a description of us in our misery due to our sinfulness. And then Paul writes, We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Later on, in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, Paul writes, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And so do you see how merciful God is? All the way in, in the beginning of the Old Testament in Genesis, all through to the end of Revelation, from the beginning of God's Word to the end of God's Word, God demonstrates His mercy. God is a merciful God. God is so merciful towards the miserable that it moved Him to do something about it. He sent His Son Jesus to rescue us from the misery of our sins. Far from being condescending. Let me tell you, Jesus condescended when He left heaven to come to earth. And far from being indifferent to our sin and our misery, Jesus was compassionate when He died in our place on the cross in order to pay the debt of our sin. Now all this brings us to a key question, though. A very important question. And that is, how, then, can God be merciful to sinners like us and still be just? at the same time. How can God be merciful? How can He be a God of mercy and yet at the same time be a God of justice? Mercy, justice. You see, mercy means that God does not give us what we really do deserve. But there can be no true mercy apart from justice. After all, somebody has to pay the price for sin. And this, oh, this is where the cross of Jesus Christ comes in. Notice this in your notes here, coming up on the screen. At the cross, we see justice and mercy collide as God chooses to absorb the debt of sin we owe Him in the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now let me unpack that statement here. The mercy God shows us, you, in the gospel of Jesus Christ is only made possible because of the justice God showed His Son on the cross. You see, it's through the gospel that we now enjoy the forgiveness of God's, of our sins. Not because God has pushed away our sins. 
No, no, God can never do that. Why? He is just. But because He has absorbed the cost in His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, this is the only way that God can show the mercy of forgiveness to sinners like us. God's justice was satisfied on the cross. In the words of Paul in Romans 3.26, the cross is what allows God to be both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So please know something here. There's something that we need to know. We need to know with our minds and we need to, to grab it with our hearts. God will never violate the truth of his justice in order to be merciful. Listen, folks, were it not for the cross of Jesus Christ, mercy and justice could never meet together. And righteousness and peace would never result. Remember, when Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Of what were they ignorant of? Jesus prays, they don't know what they're doing. So what were they ignorant of? Well, for one thing, they were ignorant against whom they were sinning. And they were also ignorant of the enormity of their sin. They were rejecting Jesus as the Son of God and crucifying Him. And yet, ignorance did not remove their guilt. Jesus' prayer did not automatically result in the personal forgiveness of all those who had been involved in his crucifixion, but it did postpone God's judgment. And it gave people another opportunity to repent of their sins and receive God's forgiveness. You know what that's called? Mercy. That's mercy. Do you know this mercy firsthand? Have you experienced the mercy of God through faith in Jesus Christ? Listen, here's the difference that mercy makes in our lives. And now we're beginning to come to the application of this here in the Beatitude. People who experience God's mercy in the gospel of Jesus Christ are so blessed that they now extend mercy to others. You see, the reality is you cannot extend mercy until you have first received God's mercy. Why? Because mercy is not a quality that is natural to us as human beings. And so it must be received as a gift from God. Now, that's not to say that someone now and then might return a kindness. After all, we see people who are, show mercy here and there. And so it's not to say that even unbelievers at times cannot show mercy, but yet they do not show mercy with the cross in view. And it's not the norm. Mercy is not the norm in our merciless world. The only way to be merciful in a merciless world is to receive the mercy of God. And so the first question each of us need to stop and ask ourselves is, have I experienced God's mercy through my faith in Jesus Christ? Have I experienced that mercy? As one author writes, the merciful 
are those who reflect God's acceptance of the unworthy, the guilty, and the ones in the wrong. Because the merciful themselves, conscious of their own unworthiness, guilt, and wrong, have experienced God's forgiving and restoring acceptance through the message of Jesus Christ. So what is, then, a merciful person like? What is a merciful person like? Well, they're like Jesus. They're like Jesus. That's why we are Christ's followers. And so we are to pattern our lives after Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, Jesus' mercy always included two things. It included kindness and forgiveness. And so our mercy is always going to include, it's going to involve kindness and forgiveness. Jesus revealed this kind of mercy throughout his life, and he practiced it in the fullest extent on the cross. There on the cross, Jesus poured out his mercy to us. And if we have received his mercy by faith, we will become a conduit for that mercy to flow through us to others. This means our mercy towards others will be marked by kindness and forgiveness. Say, so what does that mean? What's that look like? Well, let's, let's break it down a little bit here. Two marks. In one hand, mercy shows kindness to the suffering. We must never imagine that we are merciful because we feel compassionate towards someone in distress. Mercy, biblical mercy, moves way beyond feeling to showing kindness. When Jesus looked at the crowds following him, we're told in Matthew and even in other places in the Gospels that he had compassion on them. And that compassion moved him to meet their needs. And how Jesus began to meet their needs was oftentimes, as Matthew delineates it, especially in Matthew chapter 4 and later on, is by teaching them, by healing them, and by feeding them. He's relieving them from their misery, from their distress. He had compassion, and his compassion moved him to do something about it. The merciful see people who hurt, and then they take intentional steps towards showing kindness to help alleviate that distress. Jesus made this clear in one particular parable, which most of us here are familiar with, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10. Jesus told this parable, though, what's interesting, the context of the parable, in response to a lawyer who questioned him regarding eternal life. Basically, this man, this lawyer, comes to Jesus. He asks Jesus, hey, how a person should act who may expect to find mercy at the judgment day and inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells them that the people who will receive the mercy of eternal life are those who have loved God with all their hearts and their neighbors as themselves. In other words, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are merciful now to their neighbors, for they shall receive the mercy of eternal life in the future. But then this lawyer asked another question of Jesus hoping to justify himself before Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, verse 29, the question is a familiar question. It's the question in which this whole parable turns, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus answers with the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. In verses 30 and 33, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. 
who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But, but, Jesus says, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, this man who was beaten, robbed, lying there, half dead. And when he saw him, Jesus says, he, the Samaritan, had compassion. Now, this is an interesting twist in the story because the Jews and the Samaritans, well, there was no love, love lost between them. They hated each other. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be racial half-breeds and religious heretics, and yet, in the story, it was the Samaritan who had compassion. In fact, Jesus continues in verses 34 and 35 when he says, He, the Samaritan, went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. All this for a man he had never met before. And who, for all he knew, would not have done the same thing for him. It's not as if this man on the road even deserved help. He didn't, but he sure needed help, didn't he? The Samaritan owed him nothing, but he stopped anyway. That's being merciful. Remember, Jesus told this story, though, in the answer to a very simple question that the lawyer had asked Jesus. And the question was what? Who is my neighbor? So at the end of the story, Jesus then turns the question, the tables on the lawyer, and in verse 36, asks the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer, the answer is so obvious, says in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. Now, the real question, though, the real question in the story is not who is my neighbor, but what kind of neighbor will I be? Will I be merciful or will I be merciless? In other words, what Jesus is getting at is what he says at the very end. The very end, the final words to this lawyer at the end of verse 37, when he tells the lawyer then, you go and do likewise. Why? Because mercy doesn't just feel compassion. Mercy always moves us to do something about it. Mercy demands that we do something, not just feel something. And so in one hand, mercy shows kindness to the suffering, but that's not enough. In the other hand, what we see here is mercy grants forgiveness to the guilty. So in both hands, we have mercy. In one hand, it shows kindness to the suffering, but in the other hand, mercy grants forgiveness to the guilty. What does it mean, though, to give, forgive someone who has wronged you? Well, it doesn't mean you trivialize the wrong, and we all say thank God for that, right? Because that's oftentimes what we want to do, especially when we're the ones who've done the wrong. We trivialize it. We, we lower it, in other words. We laugh it off. 
Listen, it doesn't mean you sweep the wrong under the rug or into the closet either and try to ignore it. It doesn't mean you put nice words on what God says is wrong and try to dress it up. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. It doesn't work. It's still a pig and it's still wrong. Here's what forgiveness does mean. The one who forgives absorbs the debt that is owed to you. No debt ever evaporates into thin air. And when you pay the debt for the person who wronged you, that's forgiveness. Absorbing the debt someone else owes. Think of it this way. Think of a towel that you use to wipe up a spill on your table or your countertop. If the towel does its job, the counter appears completely dry as though nothing ever happened, as if nothing was ever spilt. Mercy, then, is like a towel that absorbs sin so completely, it's as though no one ever committed it. So to absorb the debt means also never keeping a record of what I am owed. And Jesus knows we're really good at that. Oh, how we have memories like an elephant when we want. When Peter wanted to put a limit on mercy, Jesus told another story, another parable in which he contrasted this king's amazing mercy against his servant's lack of mercy, and then he declared at the end of it that we must forgive our brother and sister countless times. Those who have received God's mercy cannot afford to count the cost of forgiving others. You see, no matter how often you are wronged, no matter what the character of the person who wrongs you is like, Christ followers are obligated to keep on forgiving the guilty. That's what this beatitude is, is describing. It is the profile of a Christ follower who is living out kingdom values in an upside-down world. And when we see this, it's what Jesus intends for our forgiveness. We want everything within us just wants to ask Peter's question all over again in Matthew 18, verse 21, just to make sure Jesus didn't fudge any words here. What? Wait! How often must I forgive my brother who sins against me? No more than seven times, right? And when we hear Jesus' response, we want to say, 70 times 7, Jesus? Are you kidding me? Jesus, you cannot possibly mean 490 times. Forgiveness cannot possibly be that lavish. I don't know about your heart. My heart. Oh, my heart wants to revolt against such unfathomable and unlimited forgiveness. It makes far more sense that those who have wronged us should have to pay for what they have done. They owe me. We should not have to forgive them, especially if they have come to us for forgiveness again and again and again for the same thing. At this point, we start running through what Philip Yancey calls the logic of unforgiveness. See if this sounds familiar to you. We run through these scenarios in our minds. He needs to learn a lesson. I don't want to encourage irresponsible behavior. I'll let her stew for a while. It'll do her good. She needs to learn that actions have consequences. 
I was the wrong party. It's not up to me to make the first move. How can I forgive if he's not even sorry? And we can come up with any number of good reasons to withhold forgiveness. But Jesus allows no qualifications when he tells us in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. C.H. Spurgeon used to say, I love this quote here. He said, forgive and forget. When you bury a mad dog, don't leave his tail above the ground. Now, it's not always possible to forget, forget. But by the grace of God, it is not impossible to forgive. In fact, listen to me carefully. Failure to forgive has horrific consequences. This is precisely the point of the parable of the unmerciful servant Jesus tells Peter here in Matthew 18. This servant owed his master a huge debt of money that was impossible to repay. And so he pleaded with his master, who in an astonishing display of mercy forgave him the entire debt, absorbing it himself. Incredibly, however, this same servant found a fellow servant who just happened to owe him some money. And so grabbing him by the throat, this servant demanded that that he pay up his money that's owed to him now. And when the fellow servant pleaded for mercy like he had, he had that fellow servant thrown into prison until the last penny was paid. Now, word of this got back to the king. And when the king heard about this, he called the merciful servant in, and he rebuked him. And these are the words that Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, 32 and 34. You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then... When Jesus finished telling the parable, he left no doubt about its meaning in verse 35. When Jesus then says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Here's the point. If you have received God's mercy, then you should show mercy because you have been forgiven a debt that far exceeds anything anyone else could ever owe you in this lifetime. Our hands are too occupied receiving God's forgiveness. Therefore, we have no hands free in which to choke somebody who has wronged us or to hold on to grudges against that person. When we experience God's forgiveness, folks, listen, it makes us merciful in an unmerciful world. Forgiveness, then. Forgiveness demonstrates whether we have experienced, truly experienced, God's mercy in the forgiveness of our own sins. So here's the bottom line. 
If we refuse to be merciful, there's only one reason. We've never truly experienced God's mercy in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we, therefore, are in danger of God's judgment for our sins. But those, those who have received God's mercy, they will practice mercy and we will be merciful in a merciless world. Which brings us to the second part of this beatitude. Being merciful results in receiving more mercy. What a blessing! What an awesome blessing! Jesus says in this fifth beatitude, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, on the surface, it sounds like everything within us wants to ask the question, do we earn God's mercy by our mercy? I mean, has Jesus suddenly shifted into salvation by works here? Imagine how hopeless we would all be if this were the case. If God's mercy toward me ultimately depends on how merciful I am to others, then I am in big, big trouble. Thankfully, Jesus does not mean we earn mercy because we extend mercy. By its very definition, mercy cannot be earned any more than grace can be earned. And so by definition, the only people who receive mercy are people who don't deserve it. Listen, think about it this way. In the gospel, God has emptied a dump truck of mercy on us. I mean, he just backed it up and let it out. And when we experience that abundant mercy, we can't help but show mercy to others. Therefore, showing mercy, listen, it does not save us. Rather, showing mercy is a sign that you have already experienced God's mercy in the gospel, which means you also look forward to experiencing more of God's mercy in the future. And so we can summarize the blessing this way. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. Those who have received God's mercy show mercy. And those who show mercy are greatly blessed because they will receive more mercy. Jesus is saying that those who receive God's mercy show mercy. And folks, let me tell you, when we show mercy, God gives us more mercy. Thus, we have more mercy to show. It's like a cycle. And we can't out-mercy God. Jesus is not asking us to be merciful occasionally or when we feel like it. He is asking us to be constant channels of mercy. And by extending mercy, what happens is we open our hearts to receive more mercy. And having received more mercy, we can share again and again and again the mercy of God that is being poured out on us. As Christ followers, get this, do you realize Here's a beautiful thing, moms. When you go back home and you're like, at times. Get this. We are surrounded by God's mercy. Remember what David wrote in Psalm chapter 23, verse 6? Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. As we begin each new day, we can say in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, 
Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then when we look ahead to the coming day of the Lord, we remember the words of Jude 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And so we have a beautiful, awesome, phenomenal, wonderful blessing here in this fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. At the same time, there's also a warning. Folks, there's a sober warning in this beatitude. A warning that should cause us to sit up and pay attention. Notice it. If we are not merciful, then we are giving evidence of not receiving God's mercy in the gospel. And therefore, we cannot with confidence look forward to receiving God's mercy in the judgment day. Here's the deal. Every one of us here, we all sin. All of us here, we are in the same boat and we all sin. But there are some who never bring their sins to the cross of Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And yet, and yet, they will want mercy in the day of judgment. But God tells us in James chapter 2, verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. In other words, there will be a merciless judgment on people who do not accept Jesus Christ as their sacrifice for their sins. This is no small thing. And so I plead with you to open your heart up and evaluate and to consider and let God search out your heart because we are talking about eternity here. If you sin your life away and never accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, God offers you no promise to be merciful to you. You will have a judgment as you stand before God Almighty without mercy. But the good news, oh, there is blessed, great news in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the good news of the gospel, God offers us, get this, mercy now and forever in Jesus Christ. Listen, we have a sin debt that we can never repay in a thousand lifetimes. But through faith in Jesus Christ, we can enjoy God's forgiveness of our sins. That is the greatest news in all the world. That is the best news any mother can have on Mother's Day. And if you have yet to receive God's mercy in the gospel, then don't wait any longer. Listen, repent of your sins and ask God to forgive you. And you know what He will do? He will pour out His mercy on you now and forever. Because when it's all said and done, the only thing that matters is this question. Are you merciful or merciless? Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy.
when the Scottish pastor Alexander McLaren finished his sermon on this very beatitude. He closed by challenging his congregation to move among people as, quote, copies of God. What a powerful image that is. To move among people as copies of God. Just think. When you show mercy, when you show forgiveness to the suffering, and when you give, I mean, when you show kindness to the suffering, and when you give forgiveness to the guilty, you are being merciful. And you are a living, breathing copy of God's merciful to people. Today's Mother's Day. And I can't thank moms of a more noble calling than to be a copy of God's mercy to your family and to your friends and to the people you interact with. Of course, this calling not only is for moms, it's for every Christ follower here today. And if you're not yet a Christ follower, then God's mercy calls out to you. And to bring your sins to the cross of Jesus Christ where you can experience his mercy for the first time and have your sins forgiven. And know what it is to experience the mercy of God now and at the end of this life. And to experience it forever and ever. Are you merciful or are you merciless? That is the question we need to ponder as we close in prayer. Before I pray, let me ask you, again, have you experienced the mercy of God? That is the greatest thing you can ever experience. Jesus Christ cared enough for you to die for you and to forgive every sin you've ever done wrong, but you must come to Jesus. You must admit those sins, and you must ask forgiveness and let him cleanse you. And the beautiful thing is there's no reason to leave here today with any guilt. It's unnecessary. And so if you haven't already, I encourage you right where you're seated to cry out to God, to pray to God and receive his mercy today and to receive it in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, on this day that is set aside to honor and remember mothers, we give you thanks for our mothers. We are grateful that you chose to give us life through them and that they received the gift of life from you and gave it to us. Father, we thank you for the women who raised us, who were our mothers in childhood. And whether birth mom, adopted mom, older sister, aunt, grandmother, stepmother, or someone else, we thank you for those women who held us and fed us and who cared for us. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage every mom here right now with your abundant mercy. And may every mom leave here today with the comfort of knowing your mercy in Jesus Christ. And may you give them the grace to live as copies of your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise team's going to sing just a chorus. Let me encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer.